Good morning, Christ Central. My name is Sam, and I am one of the pastors. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Christ Central, and I have the privilege and the honor of sharing God's word to you this morning. Christ Central, beloved family of God, I hope that you and your loved ones are doing well, staying healthy, hopeful, and prayerful during these uncertain, unprecedented, and unusual times. And for those who are joining us online for the very first time, welcome. And for those maybe who are joining us again for the first time in many weeks or in a while, welcome back. My hope is that through this message and our worship service today, that you will hear, experience, and be engaged by the greatest news of all time. That there is a God who created you, who loves you, who sent his son to die and rise for you so that you may have new life and enduring hope in him. We are currently in a sermon series called Following Jesus Through the, the, through the Book of Luke. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Owen preached through the, from the latter half of Luke chapter 4 to help us gain a deeper understanding and a clearer picture of who Jesus was, why he came, what his ministry entailed, which was gospel, mercy, and justice, and the rejection that even Jesus experienced. And this morning, I'll be speaking from a passage and a story where we can learn from a powerful and profound encounter between Jesus and ordinary fishermen, specific, specifically an unlikely disciple named Simon Peter who received and heeded a personal invitation to change the world by following Jesus. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, allow me to read aloud from God's Word, the text that I'll be preaching from today. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put a little out from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon, Peter, Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord." For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, this is so key, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God. Would you bow with me as we pray? 
Father, we thank you so much for your living, active, and your penetrating word, which is to bring life and hope and truth into our lives, into our world. And I pray that would be done through the preaching and hearing and receiving of your word today. So Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters, the hearers, the audience, the congregation, your bride, your children, that they would hear, they would heed, and they would come to know Jesus more richly, more fully, so that they can follow him more wholeheartedly. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you are a sports junkie, this fall season is admittedly like any other, where you're watching an NFL season which seems to have begun somewhat suddenly because there seemed to have been no training camp that we were following and no prison whatsoever. Major League Baseball, the season was shortened and delayed from 160 to 162 to 60 games and most oddly, and if you're like our family, we watch, we're the biggest fans of the NBA. Most oddly, we are watching the NBA championships in the month of October when they're usually held in June. I mentioned all of this, uh, the, the, all this is happening within sports because I've noticed something as I've been watching this wide array of sports recently. What I find fascinating and intriguing about sports is that the difference that the head coach or the manager makes in determining and impacting the outcome of the game through one single hand motion. This is it. A timeout. That's all it takes for the head coach or the manager to change the course of the game. You see, the timeout is used by the coach to interrupt the momentum of the game in order to remind players of the core fundamentals and to renew their efforts and to refocus their energy to following the coach's game plan. Our study of Luke over the last several weeks and for the remainder of this year and into 2021, and specifically this text this morning, is intended to serve as a spiritual timeout to remind us and to renew and refocus our calling to the main reason that you and I are called the church. That we as Christ's body, why do we exist on the earth today? It's this. It's to join Christ's work and to become fellow laborers with him and all his people in an all-encompassing mission to fill the earth and to reconcile all things to their creator. And we see this in our text today. If you look with me in, in, in Luke chapter 5, here is, I believe, the thrust and the main idea of this passage, and I think the timeout, if you will, that God is calling us to have right now. Here's the main idea of my message, friends. Jesus comes into our lives so that we may proclaim his. He comes so that we will go. And there are three marks of a disciple whose life proclaims the gospel. And here's a preview of my outline. The three marks are these. Number one, obedience to the word of God. Number two, humility based on the character of Christ. And number three is focus on what matters for eternity. 
allow me to give you a brief background or context of our passage today and even the study in, through the book of Go the Gospel of Luke. Like other Gospels, Luke, the author, recounts the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and those lives around him who are loved, healed, accepted, forgiven, and transformed by the power and the hope of the Gospel. But what makes Luke, his writings, different from all the other Gospel writers is that he actually has a companion volume, a volume two, if you will, called the Book of Acts, which records the birth and the growth of the early church, which, which advances and spreads the Gospel to the ends of the earth. Therefore, I mention this because the Gospel of Luke is intended is an intentional invitation to know, show, and believe who Jesus really is, the Son of God, the promised Savior, so that, and don't miss this, friends, as we study Luke, it's so that those who are called to be his disciples, that's you and me, would follow him by seeking, saving, and serving the least, the last, the lonely, the left out, the left behind, and the lost. Moreover, what's just as important as who are being sought, saved, and served are the ones who are called to do so with Jesus. You see, the kind of disciples Jesus pursues and gathers is notably an unusual lot. It's a very unconventional list. It's not theological professionals. It's not the spiritual elite. But rather, it's fishermen, tax collectors, former revolutionaries, simply broken and unqualified struggling sinners who make up this new community of followers of Christ. So let me lead in now to our, my first point. The first mark of a disciple whose life proclaims the gospel, it's this, obedience to the word of God. Obedience to the word of God. For those who are familiar with the gospel accounts, you, you, uh, you, you'll, you'll be mindful that there are actually two other accounts in the gospels where Jesus sees and calls the disciples, Simon, Peter, James, and John, to follow him, and their response is, instantaneous obedience to the call of discipleship. We find it in Matthew 4 and Mark 1. However, what makes this passage distinct and unique is that only in Luke's account, he highlights this calling taking place after the fishermen made the personal acquaintance with Jesus and experienced a revelation of his heavenly power. Brothers and sisters, it's imperative and foundational to point out that the core theme and prominent prevalence of the Word of God and Christ's ministry of preaching and teaching is found in this passage, but also throughout the previous chapter in Luke chapter 4. Look with me in verse 1, where I read earlier. It says this, the crowd was pressing in on here to do what? to hear the word of God. And then in verse 3, it says that Jesus, after he, he sits in a boat just right off the shore, he sat down and taught the people. And before he, he, he starts off this miracle with Simon Peter, it says this in verse 4, after when he had finished speaking, and in the previous chapter, 
It speaks of him teaching in their synagogues in chapter 4, verse 15, that people's reaction and response were astonishment at his teaching. We see in verse 32 of the previous chapter. And then Jesus says it plainly and clearly in chapter 4, verses 30, uh, 43 and 44. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of, of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Now, why am I pointing this out? Why is this so important? It's this. Please listen in. Please lean in here. Because many churchgoers, church attenders, and many who have even grown, grown up around Christianity, in other words, you, have, you come from a believing household or with believing parents, maybe you were an active participant in, in a college fellowship, a youth group, or even uh, Christian ministries, even those who were around Christianity, who actually go to church, now it's more virtual, of course, that we may falsely and inaccurately be led to believe that, watch this, knowing about Jesus, being around the Word of God, and experiencing the blessings, the power, and the demonstration of the gospel around you means that you are automatically, and by definition, a disciple of and a follower of Christ. Unfortunately, it couldn't be further from the truth. You see, Peter, Simon Peter, he had even experienced and witnessed the healing power of Christ in his own home, where Jesus heals his mother-in-law in Luke chapter 4. It says this, when he arose and left the synagogue, he entered Simon's house. This is the same Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he, being Jesus, stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she arose and began to serve him. Simon firsthand saw the power of Christ healing in his own family and home. However, it wasn't until Simon received, heard, and responded to direct commands from Christ that his faith became personal, real, and transformational. And that's why it says in verse 4 and 5, look with me there in your text, and when Jesus had finished speaking, he spoke directly to Simon, it says, and he said these words, put out into the deep and let your nets that let down your nets for a catch. And then you see the response. And, Peter, and Simon says this, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But watch this. But at your word, at your command, at your directive, I will let down the nets. Simon's willingness to act on Jesus' personal and direct command shows a realization that Christ's word and words are not to be ignored, dismissed on any subject in any area of our lives. Now, in this instance, even though Simon was a seasoned professional fisherman, he might not have agreed with Christ, and he actually, in a, in a subtle way, kind of appeals to Christ's command, and he was even probably half-hearted in obeying. He was willing to trust and obey Jesus. You see, friends, one of the most impactful ways that we stand out from the world so that we can make a difference in the world is to know, to cherish, embody, and obey the written word of God, both in word and in deed, so that we reveal the living word 
found in the Son of God. The written word lived out reveals the living word in Jesus. That's how we proclaim the gospel through our lives. And that's why Jesus says in John chapter 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John chapter 15, he says this, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And then John chapter 14, once again, he says this, but do, but I, speaking of himself, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Obedience to the written word of God is our way of demonstrating our trust, our faith, our allegiance to the living word, the Son of God. That's how we proclaim. And we can't make a difference in the world unless we're in the word and living it out by faith, by the power of the gospel. The second mark of a disciple who displays Christ through his or her life is humility based on the character of Christ. Humility based on the character of Christ. Uh, as a result of Simon's obedience, he experiences something, uh, nothing short of a miracle. He catches an enormous amount of fish at a time and a location he didn't catch that fish before. Look with me in verses 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. <laughs> wow, I can't even imagine how, how, how enormous a catch that was. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Amazing. Instead of taking credit for his obedience and taking credit for his personal contribution, his resources like his boat, his net, his fishing skills. Simon doesn't take any of that credit. He doesn't want to acknowledge his contributions. He acknowledges that this is an unbelievable catch that was unmistakably a supernatural and divine act from the same person who healed his mother-in-law, who cast out demons, and who preached with authority in the synagogues. And his only response was humility in the glory and the presence of Christ's character revealed and unveiled. That's why he responds in verse 8. Look there with me. When, when Simon Peter saw it, he saw this catch. He saw how the boats were overflowing to the point of sinking. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter's response, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord, reminds us actually of other biblical examples who were utterly terrified and undone in God's presence. Abraham, the father, Father Abraham, as we refer to him, in Genesis chapter 18, he answered, he says, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but, I who am but dust and ashes. 
in, in Job, he says this, I, Job chapter 42, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The prophet Isaiah, many of us know this passage really well in Isaiah 6. He says, woe to me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And the apostle John in Revelation chapter one, he says this, when I saw him being Christ, I fell at his feet as dead. The revelation of Jesus' divine power clearly and unmistakably demonstrated to Simon that he was in the presence of a holy one, which made him fully aware of his own inadequacy. Therefore, you note here in verse 8, Simon Peter addresses Jesus as Lord, which replaces the earlier address of Christ as Master to highlight his heightened apprehension and awe of Christ's power and presence. Friends, here's a lesson. A genuine meeting with Jesus alters one's perspective. An encounter with God's power, though, is no reason to draw back from him, but an opportunity to approach him on the right basis of faith, repentance, and, depend uh, faith, repentance, and dependence. In catching fish, Jesus, in fact, has caught Peter. This unexpected fish fishing expedition has brought in its first and greatest catch, which are sinners who are transformed into the servants of God. That's how great God's holiness and grace can be. Simon Peter's humble response to Christ's character mirrors and represents how many of us, how maybe you and I might feel when we are called upon to follow, serve, and represent Christ. He expressed an overwhelming sense of unworthiness and the fear of being judged as a useless sinner, which Jesus addresses in the latter half of verse 10, which I'll get to in my third point. However, brothers and sisters, please listen carefully. An honest awareness of our sinfulness and a humble admittance of our brokenness, brokenness does not disqualify us from service in the kingdom of God, but in fact, they are actually prerequisites for service of Christ and his cause. That's great news. Love this quote by one commentator, Daryl Bach. He says this, Jesus does not call those who think they can help God do his work. God does not need or want servants who think they are doing God a favor. Jesus calls those who know they need to be humble before his power and presence. John Piper, as he reflected on this passage, he writes this, Peter, Simon Peter, looks at grace, pure grace, and felt unworthy and said so. That's a good place to start in evangelism. Cocky witnesses contradict the message of grace. In other words, our humility is actually what hopefully will draw people to a God who humbled himself by becoming a man and dying on a cross for you and me. And the opposite contradicts, is antithetical to the gospel. Later in John chapter 1, we read a story of how Jesus 
pursues his disciples once again after though this time after his death after his resurrection but there's a lot of similarities in John chapter 1 with Luke chapter 5 the setting in John chapter 21 the setting is the same it's along the seashore the circumstances are identical they had spent the whole night fishing but having caught nothing and the command from Christ is to let down their nets which leads to a hauling of an enormous catch However, here's another similarity. When Christ's identity is revealed and realized in John chapter 1, Simon Peter does the exact opposite of what he does here in Luke chapter 5. It says in John chapter uh, 21, excuse me, verse 7, that that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw him into the sea, and that's implying towards the shore, making a beeline to Christ. What happened? Why did Simon Peter react this way in John chapter 21, which is so different from falling at Jesus' knees and asking Jesus to depart from him? What happened was this. After following Jesus closely for three years, witnessing Christ's suffering, death, and resurrection, and failing Christ more times than he was probably willing to admit, Simon Peter in John chapter 21 had come to understand who Jesus really was and to believe the gospel. You see, Jesus was more than a teacher to simply learn from. Jesus was more than a master to be blindly obeyed. But Simon Peter, and the gospel is teaching us this, and the gospel of Luke is reminding us of this, that Jesus, brothers and sisters, please, please don't miss this. He is the friend of sinners. He is the healer of the broken. He is the advocate for the oppressed. He is the minister of mercy. He is the savior to the lost. And he's the Lord of our salvation, who we can run towards whenever, and especially when we feel unworthy of his unconditional love and undeserving of his forgiveness and adoption as beloved children. Run to him. Run to him with humility, brokenness, and awareness of your need for him. And as you do so, you proclaim the gospel. Not just, not just to the world, but actually you're preaching it to yourself and those who are witnessing and watching why you are humble before the character of Christ. Third mark is this. The third mark of a, of a disciple whose life proclaims the gospel is you focus on what matters for eternity. Your focus is on what matters for eternity. Now, in response to Peter's request, this is what Jesus says to Simon in verses 10 and 11 and 10. He says to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. When Jesus assures Simon by saying, do not be afraid, the phrase literally means stop being fearful instead of don't be scared, which I think we often think, we we often try to translate it as don't be scared. No, 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 Jesus is actually getting to something more deeper, more personal. He's saying, don't be fearful, Simon. You may be wondering, what is Jesus talking about? Fearful of what? Do not be afraid of what? You see, Jesus is identifying, addressing, and calming a deep 
seated and a paralyzing fear within Simon. Possibly Jesus is addressing Simon's fears of being utterly exposed and ultimately defined by his past and present sins, shortcomings, and failures. That's, that makes sense. And that's why Simon cries out to Jesus, depart from me, O Lord. But instead, here's the good news of the gospel, friends. Oh, this is so good. Instead, Christ gives Simon a God-shaped vision for his future and a redeemed identity of who he can become by the transforming power of the gospel. That's why at the end of verse 10, it says this, from now on, you, yes, you, Simon, you will be catching men. You see, what Jesus is doing here, and I think Jesus is calling us in this spiritual timeout in our lives, is this. Jesus is shifting Simon's focus off himself and onto Christ. Your sins, your struggles, your hardships, which are real, which matter to Christ, he cares. But to make an impact for eternity, a life in, in, with all of its brokenness and mess cannot remain focused on your unworthiness. It has to focus on the one who deems you worthy, who deems you acceptable, who deems you approved, who, because he loves you, covers you by his sacrifice, God can say, this is my son, this is my daughter, with whom I am well pleased. This powerful imagery and specific terminology of catching men that Jesus uses in verse 10 literally translates to catch alive, to catch for life, to literally means to rescue from danger since those who are caught are being caught in order to live. See, that's the difference between catching fish, something that was dead, you're catching, now it becomes, uh, that, was, that was living, it becomes dead as you catch. But Jesus is saying, no, I have a redefinition of catching. It's those who are in death, in darkness, in despair, you're bringing them from danger, from hopelessness, from despair, into life, into freedom, into hope, into healing, found in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, time out. There's so many things that we can be distracted about in our lives. And again, those are real things. But Jesus is saying, don't forget our mission, our calling, our identity is to catch people for life. That's what we are as a church, as the follower of Christ, by sharing our broken lives through the beautiful lens of the gospel and inviting those around us to find rest, freedom, forgiveness, and hope in Christ alone. Lastly, we see the result and the fruit of encountering the one who pursues us, who reveals himself to us, and frees us from the fear of judgment and condemnation. Look with me in verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. It's interesting. Our, our, our study, our series is following Jesus through the book of Luke. This is actually the first time in the book of Luke that the word followed is used. The true miracle of this enormous and extraordinary catch of fish was not what was left behind, 
the fish, the nets, the vocations, the careers. Oftentimes when I hear this passage or similar passage, the parallel passages preached, the focus is too much on what we have left behind. It's, it's unfortunately given the inordinate amount of attention which often leads to unbiblical, guilt-driven, and narrowly understood application. I'll give you an example. You must give up everything in order to follow Christ. You ever hear that? Usually you hear that at revivals and retreats. You hear that sometimes from the pulpit. And there are times when we are called to give up everything. But I think sometimes the focus is on that. Here's why. Brothers and sisters, I have an extra minute here. The more you focus on what you left behind, more the focus is on you. I hear that all the time. I left this behind. I've been doing this for this many years. Yeah, the focus is on you. But the difference is this. Luke does not lay particular stress on the thought and the cost of giving up all to follow Jesus. That's not his purpose here. Even though, brothers and sisters... A genuine encounter with Jesus significantly, profoundly redefines and realigns our perspective, purpose, and, and priorities. That's absolutely true. But that's not the purpose of Luke mentioning this. Because he ends this verse on the real reason for this passage. It says this. Luke does not end this narrative focusing on what's left behind. But on who they were willing to leave everything for. It says in verse 11, and they followed him. The focus is on Christ. The focus is on Christ, his call, his cause, and his invitation to impact lives for eternity. We can stay focused on what matters for eternity when we stay focused on the one who stepped out of eternity to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross to restore and to reconcile us, our family, our friends, and our neighbors to an eternal relationship with God. As I close, I have two invitations and encouragements. The first one is this. It's a gospel call. Again, following Jesus through the book of Luke means you have to follow Jesus. And if anyone who is listening, whether it's in real time or watches this later, if you have not yet placed your faith and trust in Christ as your Savior, your Redeemer, and Lord, and would like to do so today, wow, I, I, would, I, would, I give you this straightforward explanation how to, of how to begin your spiritual journey. It's this, admit and confess that you are a sinner who cannot save yourself from the power and the penalty of sin. You have to believe that Jesus is the one and only Savior who paid the full and final price on the cross for your sin, your guilt, and your shame. And then you need to humbly ask Christ for forgiveness and also humbly ask for God to give you a spirit, a desire, his Holy Spirit, to grow in the grace, knowledge, and the truth of Christ and then, this is often left out when there's a gospel call and invitation. It's to ask God, by faith, compassion, and conviction, to, to seek to make an eternal, sacrificial, practical, and spiritual difference within our homes, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our communities, and around the world. 
And if that is a journey you would like to undertake or you would like to learn more about, we would love to help you. We would love to serve you. Please don't hesitate to reach out to one of our pastors if you know one of us or if you want to refriend the, uh, uh, refer a friend to us or listed on the, on the slide and the screen is, is, a, is, a, is a phone number that you can text so that someone can personally reach out to you and follow up and help you and answer any questions and encourage you in this journey towards finding the light of the world, the hope for the hopeless, the forgiver of all and every sin. And then secondly, as I close, it's the gospel challenge. For those who have been following Christ for months, for years, possibly for decades, but have lost sight, have lost sight or have grown cold or indifferent to the call to proclaim the gospel through our lives. May the good news of a Savior who enters our messy and our broken lives call us invite us to repent, believe, and renew our resolve to put on display the living word by living out, by, by faith, the written word, to humble ourselves before the Lord in, other to, in, in, in order to point others to him and to focus on eternity. How? By stewarding our time, our talent, our treasure, and our temple for the good, the benefit, and the flourishing of others, and ultimately for God's glory. Would you bow with me as we close in prayer and prepare to respond? God, I thank you that you are the God of the broken, the God of the humble, the God of the unqualified, so that as you work in us, that's how you will work through us. I pray for someone listening today who feels that there is no way a God could ever love them. I pray that you would speak to them, reveal yourself to them, and speak truth, light, and love to them that is found in Christ and your word. And I pray for those who are downtrodden, disheartened, discouraged. Oh God, would you be the lifter of their heads? So their focus would not be on themselves, which is so natural to do, but their focus would be on Christ. So they would have an eternal perspective, an eternal hope, an eternal joy in the midst of their circumstances. Father, we're only going to proclaim who Jesus is when Jesus is enough, that everything that we need is found in him, that he is the joy of our salvation that his hope will never fail, and ultimately, heaven is our home. Oh God, would you apply this into our lives and help us to not just be hearers, but by faith be doers of your word for our good, for the joy of your people, and for your glory. Amen.